0: The flame, the hottest podcast on the internet. All right. Hey, what's happening? That is the uh, cult of personality, of course. Living Color, not to be confused with the show In Living Color. And they were kind of popular at the same time, which was a little weird. Uh, let's see what I got here. Let me get this out of here. That was last night's show. Thanks for hanging around and uh, waiting for me to Kickstart this thing. The internet's been a little funky, I have to say. I'm going to have to uh, investigate restarting my computer so that I can not feel like I'm on a fucking dial up account. There we go. So I'm here with the man right here, the Astro Cat. What's going on, Astro Cat? How are you doing today? You were kind of MIA last night. Yeah, you were. Until I thought about you. Yeah, I thought about you. And then you came in, you came over. I'm like, where the fuck is Jasper? I'm three hours into this show. and He hasn't even shown up. And you kind of sauntered in there towards the end. But I had to think about you. Jasper has a new resting spot. It's a laundry basket. So we we moved the clothes out of the laundry basket. And we put in, you've got a Tempur-Pedic pillow in there now, don't you? You are really living the life. You're all spoiled now since your little sister lover left this realm. Almost got a kitten on Saturday, but I I wasn't ready yet. Wasn't ready. Maybe when I uh, get back from the little road trip coming up. You know what I really want, Jasper? I want a dog. That's what I really want. I want a dog. Remember we tried that last time? Didn't really work. We had that little Ringo for a minute. I think it could be different now, though. I think it could be different because there's only one of you. There were two of you before. Now there's only one of you. If I got the right dog, it might work. Yeah, it might work. Plus, I think he'd be more loyal than you. You You have absolutely, utterly forsaken me for Joan now. That's what's happened. It's true. It's true. Rosie was loyal to me, and she's gone now. And you are are just MIA when the doctor is around. What's going on, everybody? How is everyone tuned today on this wonderful Juneteenth day? My Lord. We have a lot to be grateful for, a lot to be thankful for. I got a good night's sleep last night. Holy shit. Even though the show went late. And I got to bed kind of late, honestly, but I woke up and I felt good. It's like, wow, I feel rested. Like I had a deep, it's, it's not how long you sleep. It's how deep you sleep. I've never, I never quite got that until last night. Cause I, I, I don't think I got to bed until like one honestly. And I was up at seven, but man, I had, a, I had a deep sleep. Yes, I did. So it's the quality of the sleep, not the quantity of the sleep. He able to drop down a few levels. Wasn't I, Jasper? So you came in and decided you wanted to have some breakfast. All right, let's see who we have here. Kelly B. What's going on, Kelly B? Do uh, Braids count as hair metal? I love that tune, by the way. I think they only put out two records. And then they went off in their separate ways and... Uh, Vernon Reed, who's the guitar player, who's just shreds on that tune. And I love it when that that big fat groove kicks in at about three forty. Wah ba ba wah ba ba wah ba ba You have a cult of personality, don't you? You do. Uh, I met with Lady Artemis last week, and we are working on a line of merch. I'm late to the party, I know, but. I just, I can't be in the business of fulfillment. I can't like send shit out. So I've got a third party this stuff. And I think the third party fulfillment has finally gotten to a place where it's reasonable for you and reasonable for me. Uh, that you can start getting some products. So we're looking at two products initially and a third, hopefully not long after that. We've got a line of Jasper products coming. We have Jasper the Astro Cat coffee mug. Uh, we have some Jasper, the Astrocat shirts. They're coming, right? Yeah. Then we're going to have uh, 15 minutes of flame. Uh, she's working on a new logo for me. And uh, so we'll have mugs and we'll have shirts and maybe even a cap if we can find the right cap. And then she's working on a chataria kind of logo piece with uh, more than likely sort of the silhouetted background of a Tartarian series of buildings silhouetted and then chataria underneath. And I think we'll do, if we can, we'll do mugs and shirts for that. So we got some stuff coming and, um, The talented lady, Artemis, is going to be putting that together. All right. Who else do we have? There's a man, Tom. What's going on, TJ? Good to see you. Uh, Here's Sony. Hello, Sony. Jonas, there she is. Uh, The lovely and talented one. Double B, Beth Berry. Checking in. Scrubbies. Need to dry off Uh, and dress from enjoying the hot tub back shortly. That is a good life. There is my man, Maurice 100. We gotta do a short film. My Cigarette Pack with Maurice. Not My Dinner with Andre, My Cigarette Pack with Maurice. There was that movie, it was called um, Smoke with Harvey Keitel, a bunch of other people. Yeah, it was okay. Wait, I didn't Wayne Wang direct that thing. All right, Wendy says, checking in. Hello, you beautiful one yourself. Uh, let's see, there's my man, Miguel. What's going on, Michael? Fran. Hola, Fran, AKA CC Jones. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, Let's see. Nicholas Grimm. Hey, what's going on? I know who you are now. Checking in from L.A. The young wizard himself. Good to see you. Let's see who else do we have. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? Somebody else? Going once, going twice, going three times. I know there's at least one other person here But I haven't. No, I guess we're all here present accounted for. Uh, it was late night last night. It went later than I thought it would. Uh, Let's see. I feel like I'm watching an Asian film. I know, right? It's just like fucking weird. I'm sorry. It started happening last night. My dim sum with Robert. I'm not even going to look at myself. It's just too weird. Yeah, it started happening during the David show. And I think I just, I think I might need to just restart my computer. And um, I mean, it's always a good practice. In theory, right. So we had a really good weekend, I have to say. We went to the uh, went to the rodeo. Yeehaw! Jasper didn't go. I'm going to take you to the rodeo next year. What do you think? I don't think you can handle it. He couldn't handle it. It was cool though. Uh, I talked a little bit about it last night on the show with David. Epic law four-hour show with David getting into the, the crooks and crannies of our current. It was an interesting show. Very interesting show. I always love having David on. And we announced our event. or It's actually my event. I'm calling it my event. and David's attending. It's my event. My event. God damn it. It, it is my event, but and David is attending. He's got very high billing. He's like right here, and I'm like right here. This just like that. I'm like right, right, like that. It's David's event. Be like that. David, meet, meet David. And ultimately, you guys are in between, bridge the gap. Is that Moon still in Pisces, Jasper? I think it is. So the rodeo was cool. Well, I got into a little bit of trouble at the rodeo. A little bit. Wasn't too bad. You know, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. When they when they start to um, propagandize our current situation and then piggyback and feast upon this idea of patriotism being American. I fucking hate it. And I had this. I had this thought in my head today and it's like, Robert, you got to start loving this country more. You got to start loving the United States more. And then the voice in my head says, yeah, but this country is, is you know, as the Patriots quote unquote want to love it is not something that I can kind of hug. Right. Because we can't get down into the nitty gritty we can't get down into the grime we can't we can't get down into this kind of festering canker that these unwitting people just absolutely without any true critical analysis embrace because well they're americans and they're christians that's usually the the, the m o so I'm, I'm working on transcending that so i can love this country because I think it's better to love the country than not love the country. Love the people, not the country. Okay, well, maybe you can have something. And I do, I feel strongly about that. But I do love the people. It's the people that have infiltrated and infested this country that I don't have any fondness for whatsoever at that level. So we're at the, uh, we're at the rodeo. And of course, we've got about... I don't know. Five minutes of Uvaldi, not Vivaldi. Uvaldi. I'm saying, okay, this is. It reminded me of when they would have all the nine eleven fucking tributes, and I'd go to sporting events, and you know they talk about our men and women overseas who are fighting for our freedom, who are serving for our. It's like get the fuck back home. You don't need to be there. That's bullshit. Total bullshit. Then they'd have the jets like scream across the sky. Figure you're at a football game, that's what would, this is what would happen. And every every time that would happen, I would I would turn the other way. I've said this before. I would turn the other way. I would not participate with people. Because you know, I guess if you just really drill down, you know, beneath these layers, you bust through something. And then you've got you've got this this um, deeper understanding. You get to the core of it. You're okay. Okay, I've gotten to the core of this, and I, I can I can embrace this. I can participate in this. But it's hard to do, especially in a brief amount of time like that. You got to work through a lot of different things in order to get there in a brief amount of time. And usually, you know it's coming, but sometimes you don't. Like I did, I didn't really know the Uvalde thing was coming, but boy, did it come. There were these prayers and um, moment silence and asking, you know, God to look over and protect the families and heal the families. And, all, and it's like, okay, I, that's fine. I get it. And then after he was theoretically done, and I said, and may God protect the Second Amendment. <laughs> I don't normally laugh at my jokes, but it was kind of funny. And there was this dude, the people around me didn't know what the fuck to think. Okay. They didn't know what to think. There was this guy, this kind of older Texan guy. And he was looking at me. He was, he, he, he was looking, he was staring at me and I stared at him back. I said, Hey, look, I feel strongly about it. Okay. Just, you know, go back to your worship. And it sort of ended there. But it was really quiet, so everybody could hear me. <laughs> Jasper, you would have been—you would have been embarrassed, I think. Jasper, to to Joan's credit, she wasn't embarrassed. I did that one time when I was watching. We went to the movies. This was when I was back when I was married. We went to the movies, and I, and we were watching a trailer of this movie. And um, what was it? I think it might have been a trailer for the uh, Oliver Stone version of of nine eleven. You know, because there were those two 9-11 movies that were made. And Stone did one of them. Let me take this out of my ears. And um, after I was done playing in the movie theater that didn't have that many people, I said, 9-11 is a lie. And <laughs> pretty loud, right? And then the people in front of me, by about three rows, they turned around and looked at me and glared at me. And then I got almost equal amounts of glare from my now ex-wife. You can see why she might've been my ex-wife. Like if I had some investment in that marriage, I would have probably not said anything and been a good husband. Right, Jasper? Yeah, I know, right? Were you a good husband? You were a good husband. Although you were a little bit of a narcissist, I think. No, you can't get on there. You can't know what are you what are you doing? This is this is not like the other operation. You can't get on my computer. You have to come over here. Come on. I'm sorry. People who don't know this show are probably going to be like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" Get to whatever you want to talk about, dude. Get over here. Come on. Come on. Enough. All right. So, welcome to the show. Uh, we got a little business here because I do want to give some. Love and attention to Truham Science, which helped contribute, helped contributed to my um, my sleep last night, my good sleep. It's quality, not quantity, right, Jasper? Although with you, it's both, I have to say. So here we go. Let's uh, just do a quick shout out here to my man, Chris, who is coming up with a new a new gummy apparently can't wait for that to hit and that's a true hemp science of course if you spend this is a good investment now let's talk about why it's a good investment number one you're getting products that can help you that's number one number two you're supporting an american business that's number two right we love that number three you're also supporting the show so you're getting benefits three different ways. It is a menage a trois of benefits, and uh, I highly recommend his product, especially after last night. Wow, did I get a good night's sleep? So there you go, True Hemp Science, and that is TrueHempScience.com backslash ref backslash twenty three, and uh, fifteen mins is your code. Type it in. You buy enough, you get some free goodies. That's how it works. And I think uh, we're going to do a show here pretty soon uh, at uh, actually on location at true him science. I think that'll be cool. We'll do a true him science this Friday, going to be a great show this Friday. We're going to have uh, Russ winter. He'll be back on. And, um, he'll be in the first hour. And I think the second hour, Mark Malone, not the ex Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback and announcer, but, um, Mark Malone, who is quickly becoming a uh, rock star in the Patriot movement. It's really funny because Mark was aspiring to be a bit of a rock star when he lived in England. He played in the band. and Well, I think they played, I think he was into like sort of new metal or something like that. That was his thing. And, you know, there's, there's the aspiration of becoming a rock star when you get into a band. Why else would you be in a fucking band? Unless you're going to be a rock star, right, Jasper? You're kind of a rock star. Who would you be? Who would you be? You're like a cross between David Lee Roth and Meatloaf. Yeah, that's what I think. David Lee Meatloaf. Somebody called me Meatloaf one night. Oh, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my fucking life. I was in a bar in New York. And you know, it was one of those New York moments, one o'clock in the morning, whatever. And I had long hair then, really long hair. And I was working out, but I was also drinking. So I, I was pretty, I was pretty thick. In fact, there, there's a picture, I think, with me and my mother and my father from that trip. And I mean, I'm yeah, so it looks like a completely different person. Anyway, I go into this bar and, you know, I've had a few drinks. It's late. And I think I've told this story before, but this British woman, just pissed, as they say, in England. you a meatloaf. I'm like, what? You're a meatloaf. You mean the singer? Yeah, the singer, you're a meatloaf. And I'm like, that motherfucker is fat and ugly. Jesus. I'm meatloaf? Yeah, it was disturbing. I'm not meatloaf now, okay? I'm not meatloaf now. I'm more like single patty now. Yeah. yeah. What prime All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. If, if you're listening to the podcast, welcome. Glad to have you here. So I've been thinking more and more and more about the trans thing. And I, that, that, the video of Peter Bogosian is just burned into my brain. You know, you watch 16 minutes or something like that. It'll affect different people differently. Like some people go, Oh wow, he's really cool. He did a good job of staying calm. And I'm like, yeah, he did, but there was more there. There was more. And one of the things that came to my attention with that video is the cultic behavior, which is why I played cult of personality. Although with that crew, it was the cult of no personality. They have no personality. It's very extreme. It's a very extreme expression of individuality because there is no individuality. They have a group consciousness, which is clear. But then they will dress in extreme fashions, which is why I have the uh, the thumbnail, the graphic for today's show. They're extreme. They're extreme fashions, or they're extreme expositions of the so-called self. And it's this bizarre inv- it's this bizarre inversion, right? So inside, where you're supposed to have your roots and connections to being an individual. An individual being somebody who has gone through the process of individuation and has had some degree of integration between their masculine or feminine, and their dark and their light, right? David, David got in this a little bit last night, which is the alchemical um, synthesis of self, Right. But they don't do that. They, no, the, the, the personality is a construct, which is weird because they talk about things like social constructs. They, they, We're talking about a specific group. They talk about reality as social constructs. Well, this is a social construct, and this is a social construct. And if you're a man, well, that's just a social construct because at birth, well, they, you have a penis, so they named you a man. Okay, the logic behind that is both – absolutely ridiculous and brilliant at the same time because when you think about it like in a weird way it does make sense it's like oh yeah like somebody just used that name but you may not like they decided that that was going to be the what if they flipped it around what if they said okay well you have a penis and you're a woman and then you don't have a penis well you're a man See, the language becomes the social construct, and they begin to understand that. And so they rebel against the social construct, just because it is the etymology or the root or whatever these things are. And we have this wonderful discourse, of course, in the Western system. Other places, you're not going to have that discourse. You're not going to have that discourse in China. Oh, no. You're not going to have that discourse in, let's say, Iran. Oh, Oh, no. You're certainly not going to have it in Saudi Arabia. You're not even going to have it in most of Africa, right? That is just a, it's just a non-starter. But here, oh my God, we can spend countless hours dissecting and debating, you know, what is and what isn't because we have so much important time in our hands in order to do that. But I understand where they're coming from. You change, what are you doing? Oh my God, he's going into a, a new cubby hole. All right, enjoy your time in there. It's a little weird. I don't know what he's doing. I have one of those, uh, like IKEA black bookshelves with CDs in them, but only one, only one level, like the bottom. Oh, I can see why those CDs now are on the floor. It's because of you. He's found one of the cubbies. I think he's feeling insecure now that Rosie's gone. It's going to take him some time. I think to heal. Anyway, I understand the language bit. Well, it's just because that's what they named you. And if they didn't name you that, you wouldn't be that. I mean, that is the basis and the foundation of their logic. And on some level, I get it. And on another level, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And Ben from Australia sent me a brilliant, absolutely brilliant telegram. And he was, or Signal rather, and he was talking about this idea of the cisgender, right? This is what they are using to have people like myself identify as a cis male. Not a man, by the way, but a cis male. And when you get into the root of cis, it is Scissor, separate, snip, incision. Yeah. So they're playing word games. They're playing language games. And it's like, okay, we're going to cut that out. (laughs) We're going to cut out your relationship to this word. And even more, we're going to cut you out of the entire process because you are cis. You are cut. You are snipped. It's exactly what it is. It's insidious. So when we look at language, of course, and Danny's really good at this. When we look at language, we look at the roots, the etymology, and how, how in many ways words can't contribute to the definition of meaning. Not always, but they can. And in this case, they've taken the arbitrary stance by saying, well, somebody just named you that. If they named you something else. If they said at uh, your birth, you're uh, porcupine. We got a porcupine here. He's got one. Porcupine. And uh, if you didn't have one, you might be called beaver because, well, she doesn't have one. So now we got porcupines and beavers. Maybe that's what we should go by from now on. I identify as porcupine because I'm prickly. And uh, you identify as a beaver because. You like to build dams, I guess. But that's where it all starts, right? It starts in that, that that's a exhumation of meaning and the reappropriation of linguistics and language. And so if you take away the meaning of things, if you take away the meaning of words, then you take, the, take away the meaning of what an individual is or what they represent and, and, the, and the list is endless. It is endless. I mean, we could just probably take about a half an hour and go through this whole, you know, kind of litany of words and causation. So then what happens is that an entire lexicon and a type of an entire language that is agreed upon by a specific group begins to emerge. And so they have their own, their own phraseology, their own symbology and that the world needs to conform to that. And that in some ways, they're actually speaking that world into existence. And James Lindsay gets into this with um, the educational theories of Paulo Freire, which have their roots in Hegel. And what's interesting is that when you go deep enough with this exploration, you wind up in the new age, which is really a fascinating journey because this whole idea of speaking things into existence, you didn't really hear that until four or five years ago. And then you started to hear athletes say, well, I'm going to speak it into existence. That actually comes um, out of this whole world Of Hegelian Marxist critical theory. And then when you get into that, you get into the, you know, the language of belief, the ideas of manifestation, you say certain words, and the words become magical, an incantation, a spell. And of course, the most fundamental relationship that is spelling, right, we're creating spells when we spell. Oh, yeah, gee, how about that? Well, we should come up with a different word. I mean, even Danny was struggling with the word share because it's connected to "shear." When you share, you're not really sharing, you're sharing. You're, you're cutting out. Well, here we go. It's another relationship with the word sis or incision. Um, so this is what happens when you have an agreed upon language that other people don't share. It happens when you're young. It happens when you're, Theoretically, you know, a quote unquote teen. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that word teen came out of Tavistock. I could be completely wrong, but I don't think I am. And before they were teens, they were called adolescents. They were called young people, but mostly adolescents. And then teen replaced adolescent, teenager, teenager which is kind of short for in between ager, right? You're not a child. You're not an adult. You are tween. You're a tween ages. So you become a teenager. I believe that's a Tavistockian approach to language. And then what happened is we've had entire generations suspended in the tween age, and not taking up the uh, responsibility, so-called responsibility of adulthood. Now, on the flip side of that, you can look around and say, well, who the fuck wants to be responsible in this world? There is that, right? Well, if I'm gonna be responsible, but he, and this is something that actually was, was kind of lost on me, and I'll be honest, that I didn't understand the nature of what the, that accountability and what that type of responsibility entails. And not only that, but the world that gets created out of that. And it's a lesson I've learned later in life. And I'm still learning that lesson, by the way. Um, But there is an inherent type of beauty and order. We can use the word logos that is associated with that. And that the, the world begins to align itself around a particular order. And that order is familial and biological. And if you plant the roots deep enough, it spreads out into everything. So you're connected to the whole of creation through that. I didn't, I didn't really understand that for a long time because I was trying to figure out what the fuck am I going to do? You know, There was a period there I was like, well, what am I going to do? I couldn't relate to the world, really, in a lot of ways. I basically took the 90s off to try to sort things out. And not everybody can do that. I'm a projector, so I kind of needed to do that. You go and you look at the strategies of being a projector in human design, and that's actually one of the strategies. I didn't even know it at the time. But I just knew it that for my um, well-being that I, that I needed to not just be dragged into the world because I had to have a job. And in a lot of cases, that never really worked out very well for me. Sometimes it was better than others. Dot com world worked out really well, but outside of dot com world, we were the magazines that I was at. And they were pretty okay, I guess. Um, so the writing, the independent writing, went pretty well, but it was only until I stumbled into um, the world of astrology, and I wouldn't have stumbled into it had I not taken that entire decade to hone some skills that eventually I would um, reconnect with so that I could do what I was doing. It's really interesting when we go back and look at our lives. And again, I, I've talked about this before. And um, I talked about this in terms of having, having a liberal arts education. At the time, it, for me, it just, if you looked at the world, it made no sense. That, and that was the early 80s. Like If I had gotten the right degree during the early 80s, when I was all gung-ho and shit, I could have done really, really well. I could have done really well. I mean, it was a time where people, you know, whether it was sales or marketing or business or whatever, that was a time where it was like, okay, there's a lot of money out there. Technology is expanding, markets are expanding. You're 24 years old. This is your time, man. Get in there. And I didn't do that because my head was in a very different place. I was, you know, I was reading Alice Bailey and Carl Jung, and it was like, how am I going to? How am I going to apply this stuff to my everyday life? And that became a real challenge for me. And so I'd have these various jobs, some of which were better than others. And I didn't understand, like I said, I've said this before. I didn't understand why I was getting the, the English degree. And only later now do I understand it. And this gets into this whole idea of like future selves and your future self communicating back to you. And that you have, or you're picking up on vibrations and emanations from a time that you can't necessarily experience, but there's some kind of wisdom that is speaking back to you from another place. And I think that's ultimately what happened through various sets of, various sets of circumstances. But bringing it back to what we're talking about today, um, I'm very interested now in understanding this cult that's been created because it really is a cult. It matches all the characteristics of a cult. So why don't we go over some of that? Let's just, just, just jump in here. Let's see how many. Let's see how many of these characteristics show up. In the typology of um, what we're talking about, here we go. Let's see if this. I'm 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 just getting in here on this. I'm fly, I'm. I, it's a pure instinct moment. Okay, pure instinct moment. All right. So this is from study.com. It seems to be perhaps a tad bit superficial, but we'll start here because they do have some some bullet points. Now what's interesting about the the, uh, trans cult is that they do not have a charismatic leader unless you consider Desmond to be a charismatic leader. And I don't. There is no charismatic leader, which is, in fact, there are no leaders, which is interesting. It's a it's a leaderless cult and they, none of them tend to be very charismatic at all. Okay, now here we go. Ideological purity. Members are strongly discouraged from questioning the cult's doctrine and any doubts are met with shame or punishment. I think we can check that box. That when you look again at that 16 minute clip of Peter Burgosian and uh, the cancel crew, the little cult that came down from the heavens to question his position there, uh, their position was that their ideas, their ideology, their concepts, their social constructs were purer because they were devoid of any contaminants and impurities of the dominant culture, which really is centered. The epicenter is the toxic male. And that if you divorce yourself from everything that the toxic male in this culture in the West represents, which is the patriarchy, which is this idea of of being an individual, all these things. If you divest of that, if you cleanse yourself and purge yourself of that, you have ideological purity. And it's your ideological purity, which is actually the language of the detox from the dominant culture. So they have it, and you can't question it. Conformity and control. Cult leaders often exercise an extreme degree of control over members' lives, including dictating what they can wear and eat, what kinds of relationships they can have. Conformity is also enforced by group members who police one another. Okay, this is interesting because as we've already kind of surfaced here, there is no leader. It is a leaderless cult, which is brilliant in terms of planning, strategy, execution. You cannot point to one person and say, they're the problem. They're the source. They did that with Trump. Said, well, that's a cult. And there's their leader. And they just follow him obsessively. But we don't, it's, so this is an interesting thought, which I've never really thought about until now. That in a weird way, Trump is their leader. Because, they they are he because he is the face of the toxic male and the patriarchy and all those things, but because they are engaged in a what I would call a negative relationship to the dominant paradigm, which means they reject. So they would think that okay, well we're going to reject this idea of somebody who's an organizing principle in a positive sense. There's not they're not sitting down with you know Larry Baphomet and having uh, you know, coffee and tea and, and uh, sessions with Larry Baphomet. They don't do that, but what they do have is they have, an, I think, an anti-leader. They have an anti-leader that they assemble in a way that is about negative reception. It's about negative reception. So in an odd way, somebody like Trump would be their leader right it, because he's he's the bad dad or whatever that they're rebelling against still and they, that's because I, I don't think they know that i don't think that they know in a weird way that trump is their leader because they wouldn't if it wasn't trump it'd be some other version of the patriarchy who knows what it would be ron DeSantis or i don't know batman clint eastwood clint Eastwood's fucking old you 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 know what i'm saying i mean they don't have they, they don't have a leader they have an anti-leader and that is their rallying point oh let's keep going here um let's see we conformity control so yeah i mean let's just go through this they exercise control over members lives including dictating what they can wear and eat sure if you were in their group okay we're going to use the 16 apostles or whatever there were there. If you were in their group and you wore leather pants, I'm not talking about faux leather, I'm talking about leather pants. And on a cold day, you wore some kind of furry vest. Do you think you'd be accepted into their group? The answer to that would be unequivocally no. And none of those women there was only one dude. None of those women really even dressed remotely, provocatively. Like there's no, there there, I don't believe there are any women wearing skirts or dresses. They're all wearing pants. And I think they were trying to get as, cl- about as close to unisex as possible. So if you were to wear uh, clothing that did not conform in that fashion, you would not be accepted. You'd be be hammered a little bit. Why do you wear that? Do you know that there were animals that died for that? Do you understand how cruel that is? Do you understand how that's really an extension of the patriarchy? So you can't wear certain things. We know that. Diet-wise, I guarantee you that a lot of the people who are part of that descent the angels, the fallen angels from on high, I guarantee most of them are either vegetarian or vegan. Because if you're going to eat animal products, again, you're participating in the system in a way that is harmful and impactful. So, yep, I'd say diet plays a role. Um, And what else do we have? Dictating what they can wear, eat, and what kinds of relationships they can have. If you're in a group like that and you have a relationship with another woman... Do you think it'd be rewarded? Absolutely, hundred um, percent. Of course, it would be calling it a woman. Um, another Z, or I'm not sure what they call it, but yeah, you'd be rewarded for that if you were in that group and somehow you managed to take on a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, and it happened to be somebody of another race, or. Uh, income status plus race you might be rewarded for something like that oh it's so brave of you it's so brave of you to uh to date that that man from Tasmania so brave of you I'm so proud of you you would get that if you were somebody who was interested in somebody like Peter Boghossian It raised a lot of eyebrows. And it's through this and through these things, these social cues, which would be what you wear, what you eat, and who you hang out with. If you're excluded from that, you're not in the group. So we have mind-altering practices next. Sleep deprivation, chanting, meditation, and drugs are often used to break down individuals' defenses and make them more susceptible to cult ideology. Now, I'm sure in extreme areas of the, uh, of this world, by the way, maybe one of those people might have been trans, but really what they were were like social advocates for this ideology. That's what they really were. They were, how would I describe them? They're almost like the priest caste of that ideology. They know the orthodoxy. They know the language of the orthodoxy. They know the language of the practice and they're the um, social enforcers of that. But I don't know if they're explicitly any trans people in there in the trans world, you may have this mind altering practices. You know, when you swap hormones out, those are mind altering practices. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. One time I was at this store in, uh, Austin. I think it's called Wheatsville or something like that. And the, the uh, checkout clerk was transitioning from he to she. And she was going on and on about the hormones and, and what, a, what a mood elevator it was. It was like, she's talking to customers about this. I'm like, I don't fucking need to hear it. It was, it was like she was taking pride in the fact that she was being just on this, you know, roller coaster whiplash of estrogen and taking her up and taking her down and crying and laughing. Uh, it was like a fucking drug. I swear to God, it was a drug. So yeah, there are drugs involved, mind altering practices. If you're going from she to he and you start getting hit with testosterone, you feel pretty fucking good. You feel like you could go out and conquer the world. So there, there is that, right? There is the relationship with. And they're not just mind altering. They're endocrinolog, endocrinolog, endocrinological. They're altering your endocrine system. That's what they're doing. And those are drugs, hormones, hormone replacement therapy, HRT. They're drugs. So that's there, right? I, and I and I suppose maybe in an extreme. Sense that there, there could be other drugs involved as well. You could be dealing with drugs to help you deal with the mood swings and everything else that goes along with antidepressants, and you know, and it may not be something along the lines of strong doses of LSD and you know being put into a closet like Patty Hearst was with the SLA. Um, maybe not like that. But there are definitely. Drugs involved here. And, and I believe it checks the HRT or hormone replacement therapy box, especially when you're swapping. Um, what else do we have here? Isolation and love bombing. It is common for people in cults to be encouraged to cut contact with outsiders, including those family members within the cult. New members are often subjected to love bombing, a practice where new initiates are showered with love and praise to bring them deeper into the cult and foster a sense of belonging. Look, do you think that that happens in this world? You're absolutely fucking right it does. Oh, you're so brave. You're so brave. You have so much courage. Oh, I love you. I love you so much. We have to to stand together. I know exactly how you feel, right? I mean, how many times do you think people in that world have heard that? A lot. And you get addicted to that. It's like, Oh my God, these people really love me. They love me more than my own family loves me. And that shows me that my family is more fucked up than I thought they were. These, this is my real family. And then of course, there is this idea that maybe and they're not saying, Hey, don't call your family. But as you go deeper into the trance of the cult, you don't want to call your family because you're going to have difficult conversations and you're going to have easier conversations with the people that are love bombing you and want you to be the recipient of their full focus and attention, which by the way, I believe is one of the techniques of a full blown narcissist that they'll love bomb you. And then once they're kind of over you, they're like, man, you're not all that. Right. Supposedly that's how narcissists work. Um, so yeah. And they are isolated. They're isolated within their, community their groups their their online chat forums and we have to understand that we're not just talking about people who are in the transition mode we're talking about the people that support them like that group was all about support and and again there may have been one person in that group who might have been transitioning maybe but most of those people were still women, and they may identify as something other than women, but they were still women. And I would say that the real trans people who theoretically go through the things that they do actually have a lot more courage than their support crew. The support crew doesn't want to go, they don't want their generally or necessarily their biology changed. They don't want that. But they'll support, they'll go out of their way to support the people that do. Because those people are doing things that they don't have the courage to do. Now, you can make a case that somebody who undergoes uh, gender reassignment, also known as sex change therapy or sex change operations, that they're the byproduct of an inculcation into a cult. And I think that there is some truth to that. And it's because of the love bombing. Like those people in that group. We're, 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 they're part of like the initiatory stage. They never get past that initiatory stage. But they're there to support the people that do. So in some ways, the the people who are going through gender reassignment are actually living out the the. Uh, they're living out the shadow. I'll use the word shadow of the people who don't transition. So the people who don't transition. Might even feel guilty about that. And now they, they have to support this group, you know, in any way, shape or form, because they're taking a bullet for them. Now, I've never really fleshed this out fully in my head, but I think that there's some truth to that. And so we see them as, as like, I wouldn't even call them the priest caste, although a little bit. They have the, they have the language of the orthodoxy, but they're also like field nurses in some ways. And that's exactly, they're like field nurses. And, and they're not even there to, to um, suture people up because they've been wounded by a bullet or a knife. They're there to suture up their emotions. And that's it. Us versus them mentality. Cult members are often encouraged to see the cult as superior to life on the outside And to feel that those outside the cult lack understanding or insight. By the way, there are a lot of groups that are guilty of this, a lot. And what's happened is that everything has become so atomized that we're all now in a version of an us versus them mentality, unfortunately. And it's, we talk about duality, but when we have varying. Shades and gradations of people who are theoretically on the same side, but may not agree, then we haven't like next levels of us versus them. I'll give you an example. Um, there's a young man who's from Ireland named Keith Woods, and I subscribe to his channel. He's very bright. He's a little hard to listen to sometimes because he's so dry. He's very philosophical. He understands uh typology really really well he understands history incredibly well he's very thoughtful he's he's generally a pretty good listen and watch i like i like keith woods but he just recently did a uh, stream on like the five types of what we would call conservatives and at the front end He's got a big piece on Nick Fuentes, America First Conservatives. And he goes through all these varying gradations. He gets it to uh, the people who have left American First and started their own kind of group based on the fact that they don't like Nick Fuentes, and that he's too reactionary, too polarizing. So they they tone down the message a little bit, but keep some of the memes. Then he gets into like the paleoconservatives. Um, then he gets into paganism, right? And these are people who believe in things like Norse gods and, you know, are kind of, uh, you know, semi white nationalists, right? That's, that's what inspires them. Then he gets into the Black Pill group. And the black pill is there's nothing left to believe in, they're completely nihilistic, and then, and then there's another group, well I think it might be the the black pill, that everything is a facade, everything is a sham, everything is scripted, there's no, and I think that's the next group. The black pill group is is reactionary, they're reactionary, but they're reactionary in a a liberal and progressive world, they just taken this position. And if the world was different, or if the world was hardcore Christian and hardcore conservative, that the black pill group would be Satanists, that that's just their normal position. I think they just go to the extreme opposition. And then I forget what he called the second group, or not the second group, it'd be the fourth group. And I think, or no, it'd be the... So I think there's there's six. So this would be the the fifth group. So he's got America First, and he's got the America First spinoff. Then he's got the Palo Conservatives. Then he's got the Pagans, the Black Pills. Then Then there's the other group that does believe everything is scripted. And I forget what the name of that group is, but this final group is called the Schizos did you know that you may be a schizo? When you get into his definition of what a schizo is, it's like, well, oh, yeah, they have crazy ideas around uh, things like medicine and diet and supplements. And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds a lot like me in some ways. So he does not speak highly of the schizos, which I thought is, so you have a whole group of people in his breakdown of these conservative ideas, but they're not polarized, right? They are not in that group that says, well, you're on one side, I'm on on the other. No, we're actually kind of all on the same side, but because we have different buy-ins as to what we think reality is, um, we have different ways of interfacing with it, even though we may share core beliefs or um, core agreements which is kind of a spinoff of the us versus them. Because even in the quote-unquote conservative world or the truth world or the freedom world, you have these fragmented groups that agree upon something but not agree upon it. Like, you know, would would Stu Peters talk about some of the same things that I talk about? Yeah, sure, probably. Alex Jones? Yeah, sure, probably. Would I align myself with Stu Peters and Alex Jones? Absolutely not. For a number of reasons. So I want to just kind of get a little more specific about the us versus them and break it down because there, there are fractal examples of us versus them. But I would say in the larger context, clearly clearly that group was us versus them and the them in that moment was Peter Boghossian and he stood for everything. He was symbolic of everything, straight, white, male. And, you know, this one guy, the one guy, the one guy who was part of their group started uh, making analogies to the Jonesboro church, which is this very extreme church. In, I guess, where are they? Florida? Is that where they're from? Or somewhere in the South. And they just go there like, you know, these people are judgmental, they're hateful, they're violent. Um, they are the cause of our problems, according to them. And so Peter Burgosian became a cipher of all those things in that moment. So they do practice us versus them mentality. You get rid of the them, and there's no problem. You get rid of the patriarchy. You get rid of male toxicity. You get rid of colonialism. You get rid of capitalism. You rid the system of all these things, and there's there, it's purged. There's a purge. But then what happens? They're in real trouble after that, by the way. Um, Apocalyptic thinking. Preparation for a supposed apocalyptic cataclysmic event is a major characteristic of many cults, especially cult religions. Climate change. That's their apocalyptic thinking. That is part of the cosmology of the cult. Climate change is in there. Don't, Don't kid yourself. Like these people are embracing this idea that, you know, at the, at the far end of it, you have, um, what is it? Uh, the, uh, the extinction rebellion group who are theoretically willing to die. And they do all, all of these agitprop actions. The latest one being where there was a bunch of them on a motorway in Italy, and this guy got out of his truck and started dragging them off the freeway. Like this is all part of it. The whole climate thing is the apocalyptic um, metronome of their experience, right? The clock is ticking. And at some point, if you don't get the climate thing right or we don't get it right, we're fucked. And who's, who's responsible for the uh, high levels of CO2? Well, it's the us versus them. It's these guys. It's the oil industry. It's these fat cats. It's the uh, absurd dependence upon uh, quote unquote fossil fuels because they're not even fossil fuels. Uh, But they're able to identify them as the problem. Get rid of them. And then you'll get rid of the threat to the environment as well. Simple, right? All right. Time and energy. Followers are expected to dedicate huge amounts of time and energy and often money to the cult. the exclusion of their own lives, interests, jobs, and families. I think that that's probably true and that um, they'll do things like political actions and dedicate their time for that. Um, They may uh, volunteer at the uh, crisis center or at the shelter or they may volunteer uh, their time on the transphobe hotline or something like that. So there is Um, a high degree participation in group participation, usually outside of their required activities, required in this case being going to Portland State and getting a degree in social studies or social work. All right, so this whole idea of how cults start. So we have religious cults, political cults, love has one. That's a new one on me. Uh, here we go. Here's old Jake. It's funny, right? They have these versions of cults, but they don't have this other version that I'm talking about right now. Let's see what Wikipedia says about, um, about cults. I think it's in there. Cult Wikipedia. This is interesting. This will be the uh, the mainstream prescribed description here. Look at that. They've got this highlighted. Wow. The secular anti-cult movement. Specific factors in cult behavior are said to include manipulative and authoritative mind control, authoritative over members, communal and totalistic organization, aggressive proselytizing, systematic programs of indoctrination, and and perpetuation in middle class communities. Why is this fucking highlighted? And it's in lavender. This is interesting. Reactions to the anti-cult movements. So we're not even talking about, okay, that's pretty far down the line. I just clicked onto that. Look at that. The Ann Rand Institute, LaRouche movement. They'll give you every definition of a cult, except the one I'm talking about. They would not, they would not describe what I'm talking about as a cult. Not at all. Okay. So buried in cult is a cult. And they get into it right here, first, first sentence. In modern English, a cult is a social group that's defined by its unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs and rituals, or its common interest in particular personality, object, or goal. So would you so if they're saying that there is the anti-cult cult, which is fucking insidious, right? So by me taking a uh, critical view of cultic behavior as displayed by the Portland 16, and then the attendant cultic behavior of a group of people who are being uh, literally courted and seduced and groomed to be a part of a particular cult, that I am part of a cult. It's kind of fucking brilliant if you think about it, but I'm not really part of a cult. But that's what they're framing. It's like they're 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 defining what the narrative of what a cult is. It's exactly what they're doing. They're defining the narrative of what a cult is, and an anti-cult, and an anti-cult cult happens to be a cult. Even If it's an anti-cult, it's like what a mind fuck, total mind fuck. All right, we're gonna we're gonna explore more of this, and because I'm very interested in what's how this has all been shaped, um, how the message has been broadcast, how it is now in a lot of ways, resembling a culture of conformity. If you don't conform to this idea, this model, this application, oh my hat just fell, that was interesting. Maybe it's my old man. Uh, if you don't, if you don't conform, then you're at, you're on the outside. You're on the outside and you may not survive what's coming because what's coming, you'll need somebody, you'll need other people, you'll need the group, right? There is that. So this is going to be kind of an ongoing theme of exploration over the next few shows. We might even take it out a week or so because I find it very interesting and the, the phenomena of what we're experiencing now. And I don't think we can pin it down with just um, one causation. I think there are multiple factors leading into this. And we kind of got into it a little bit with David last night. Um, you know, I started to talk about transgenic, the transgenic modification with food, because we have no idea what's in the food. And I remember the first time I read about uh, transgenic foods, you know, it it blew my mind. I mean, I thought, you know, we're kind of screwed here because I understood the implications of it. That they could insert a particular species of fill in the blank. And um, it would theoretically become part of you. So they could easily begin to insert insect DNA into the food we eat for you know whatever reason. Like for instance, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Let's say there's a type of food who has a particular pest that goes after the food but that past has a natural enemy or predator and maybe it's in the insect world so the people who are in the business of genetically modifying that food could say well why don't we cross splice a gene from this insect so that when these insects approach the plant they believe that instead of the plant they're approaching the thing that threatens their survival. So they'll stay away from it. You don't think that that's happened? Give me about 30 minutes on the internet and I'll find you a case of that. And I'll find you, maybe that's what I'll do tomorrow is I'll, I'll go through a list of you know transgenic foods. They don't always tell you what's in these foods, but if you're eating a food has been modified and has some kind of an insect gene in it, you're going to be part of the hive mind. The hive mind will be inserted into you by the food that you eat, plain and simple. Like it becomes a genetic component of that food. And we got into it a little bit last night with David. All right. Why don't we, uh, why don't we enter here today? Um, So, okay, housekeeping business. Uh, Tomorrow, I promise you, if you're interested in coming here on July 2nd for the meetup, M-E-A-T up, I'll have a link. Um, It's super simple. If you want to, you you could make reservations in town, Fredericksburg. Um, If you want to pitch a tent on the property here, you could do that. Um, I think I'll charge $25. It'll and just be for, you know, food and a beverage. And I'll have that link. And so if you click on that link, you want to come, there you go. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. There'll be instructions. I'll send out an email. I'll have that tomorrow. And then the link for the rooms I'm going to get today. And if you're interested in coming in October, I highly suggest you get a room now. Because once David's people get a hold of those links, those rooms will go. So if you want to stay in the hotel, get a room. Um, that doesn't mean you can't go. There's plenty of places in the area. You can stay at a and b You can stay at another hotel, right? You can still be a part of what we're doing. Uh, but keep in mind that it will be similar to other years where the price of the event will include meals, will include the rental of the facility, and it will include... Um, the things that we provide like refreshments, day snacks, uh, and more than likely it will include an offsite rental because David's going to do some live music. And I'm not sure we're going to be able to do that at the hotel because it could be loud. I'll talk to Jana. We'll see. I mean, if he can do it inside of our meeting area, which I think would be big enough. I'm not, I'm not sure they're going to want that, though. So I'm probably going to have to look into um, a third-party. And I have some ideas, by the way. So um, the cost of the event, will include that. And we'll, you know, uh, we'll include, you know, just going to be straight up, David and I need to make some money, and we're not going to gouge you, I promise. It will not not be gouge city because I know that it's not easy for people to attend these events. They have to fly, they have to drive, they have to get here. It's already a financial commitment. So I try to keep the price as low as possible. When I plan your meals, I try to find meals that are going to be cost effective, right, with the whole day snack thing. We go out, we shop for you ahead of time. Uh, We go to Costco. We try to get the absolute best stuff we can for the best price as possible. So we're always looking for ways to, you know, keep the cost low. Um, I'm not sure we're going to come in at, I have a feeling we're going to get between 50 and 60 people this year with David being around. So I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a dynamic time and I'll have, um, I should have the links for the rooms. If you want a room, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to take the, um, ah, you know, I think I'll take the permissions off of the 11th house uh, telegram page so that anybody can jump in. We'll do that for a while. I think it's better than just starting a new page. So we'll do that. And then if you're interested in trying to connect with somebody and want to share a room or whatever, you can figure that out in there. All right. We're out here. Jasper, do you have anything to say before we go? guess uh cat's got his tongue all right use your head in order to serve what's real your heart to set what's possible i'm robert phoenix take good care um we'll see you tomorrow and bye for now